mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 20. We're going to be beginning today in verse 19. If you'll remember with me, um, in our last lesson, they had come to the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week, only to find that the stone had been rolled away. And Mary Magdalene just jumped to conclusions. She didn't even look in. And sometimes we do that as a people in our emotions. Uh, she comes looking for a dead body and Jesus is alive. And in her emotions, she just ran away and started telling people what was going on, even though she didn't know. She said, they have taken him and they've laid him and we don't know where they put him. And sometimes as a people, even as a good-meaning Christian, we can hear something, we can see something, we can think something and begin to tell people, and it's not from God. It's not the truth. And so it's so important that we tell people the truth. So we must investigate. We must become what we would call in the church today Bereans. The Bereans were more fair-minded and they searched the scriptures daily to find out if what they were being told was true. And so we want to be those that would investigate and read the Bible. And when we tell people something, we would tell them out of a relationship that it's something that we have gotten from the Lord and not just something that we think. So be very careful because we find out at the end of it that nobody has taken Jesus, that Jesus is indeed risen from the grave. He's alive like he told them, just like he had spoken to them. And there he is standing there and she thinks he's the gardener and doesn't even recognize that he is Jesus the Christ until he allows her to recognize it. Listen, so sometimes we have these thoughts like, why don't they get it? Listen. Pray for them. Live righteously. Be a witness. Tell them the truth that you hear from God. Because until God opens their eyes, their eyes are not going to be open. And if God doesn't open their eyes, all of your intellectual wrangling cannot open their eyes. But your prayers can help. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James tells us. So make sure that you're praying for those that you love because sometimes they think it's the gardener and it's not the gardener. Sometimes they think it's somebody else and it's actually Jesus talking to them. And then he opens their ears. He hear, they hear his voice and then they go tell somebody. This is what happened as we closed the chapter. Mary heard his voice and said, Master, Rabboni, teacher. 
And then she went and told the other disciples what she had seen and uh, the things that he had spoken to her. And that's what you want to do. You want to hear his voice and then you want to go and tell other disciples. Listen, there's a big difference. A disciple is somebody who wants to learn. A disciple is somebody who has come to Jesus and knows that he is the teacher. He's the master. He is curious. He's the Lord. And they want to hear the truth. So you can go and you can share as an evangelist with people that you don't know how it's going to fall. But there are also people that are disciples. They're wanting to learn. They're hungry to learn. They're waiting to learn. So there's different types of people in the church today, and we have to learn to discern which one we're talking to because um, then we know how much information to add to it. Just like today, people that come to a church on Sunday morning or when the doors are open, they're coming and saying, I'm going to submit my heart to the teaching of that church. That pastor has studied all week. The Holy Spirit is using that pastor, and he's got a message to equip the saints. Listen, are you being equipped to be a saint, to be a living stone, to hear from the Lord and go back and tell other people what the Lord has said to you? That's what church is about. That's what church is about. Churches are not, you know, somebody has said some go uh, to church to close the eyes and others go to eye the close. They want to keep up on the, today's trends and they want to look cool as a Christian. And so they go to, 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 to eye the clothes that people are wearing and talk about other things other than Jesus. So important that we are there with eyes closed. If your eyes are even open, they're closed because you're not looking at the physical we're wanting to see the spiritual. We're wanting to hear the voice of God. We're wanting to know what we're supposed to do to help other people be set free. We're not here to try to talk about each other or knit and bite and, and gouge each other and be sheep that, 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 that just do whatever they feel like doing. We're here to learn, to be equipped, to go out so that other people can be set free. So they'll stop thinking that Jesus is the gardener. They'll stop thinking he's just a good man. They'll quit thinking that he was just a prophet. And they will know that he was God with us. And that he has risen from the grave. And he's paid for our sins. We're forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide to those who will repent and come and receive it. But they must hear about it from somebody who will be equipped to go speak about it and not be silent. And so as we come to our text this morning, we no longer find Mary Magdalene weeping at the grave of Jesus, but we find her telling the disciples that she has seen the Lord, that He's alive. And then she tells them the things that he said. And then verse 19, we see, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the testimony of John uh, and these specific truths uh, of eyewitness accounts that are given to us like we're the jury, like we are going to decide guilty or innocent. Did he rise again or is he still in the grave? Is he our Lord and our God? Lord, help us in our minds to make a decision and to live thus because of who you are. Pour out your spirit upon us. Thank you for these words. Bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, verse 19, then the same day at evening, a little later in the day, it was early in the morning when Mary Magdalene come, our last text, we have transition here, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Why are the doors shut? They're locked. They're barred shut because they're gathering there. Why? For fear of the Jews, phobia, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace with you. Notice the word be, peace be with you. Be is in italics. It's not in the original text. You're going to see this, and I'll uh, hone in on this first. You're going to see peace with you, exact same Greek words three times. Our English uh, translators change it three times, but it's actually the exact same statement Jesus makes to them three times. Irene humane. Irene humane, he says three times. Said it one again. Irene, peace, at rest, quietness with God. This is what he's saying to them three times. Why is that interesting? It's interesting to me because in chapter 21, he's going to come to Peter who is backslidden, and three times he's going to restore him. Three times. A lot of times God spoke three times, and he speaks to Peter especially. He's the three-time guy, where he say it to him three times in order for him to get it. But here he says, peace with you, or peace to you. 
But not peace be with you, because why? Ephesians 2.14 says he is our peace. Jesus is our peace. There's a, it's impossible to have peace with God, Romans 5.1, without knowing Jesus and believing in his death, burial, and resurrection. Listen to me. It's impossible. And then without a relationship, going through sanctification by drawing near to him and allowing him to teach us and getting a daily bread where you're spending time with him, it's impossible to have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Listen. There's a big difference between peace with God and then still fighting Him, still being at war with Him, still not spending time in His Word, still not coming to Him for all things. What does He say there in Philippians 4, 6, and 7? To worry about nothing, be anxious about nothing. Now listen, I know that's a very difficult thing to do, but we need to learn how to do that. We need to learn that God is trustworthy. And when you spend time with Him, you'll find out how trustworthy He is. He always does what he says he's going to do. He never fails to take care of the needs of his, his family and his children. He provides for all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the more you spend time with him, the more you realize how much of a provider he is, how good of a father he is. And you can learn to be anxious for nothing or worry about nothing. But in all things through prayer... It's an oral chapel where you're talking to God, where you're meeting with God. You're worshiping Him by saying, here it is, Lord, and I'm, I tend to be anxious about this in life and this in life, and this is going on, but I'm leaving it here at your chapel, in your hands, because you bought me with your precious blood of your Son, and it's yours to deal with, and I don't have to deal with it because I know you're going to get me across the finish line. All things through prayer and supplication. Talk to him. Have a conversation. Spend some time there supplicating with thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, I know you took care of that last thing, Lord. You did great on that. I couldn't even believe it. I was actually thinking that this was going to go like this, and you just kind of just did exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever hope for or ask. I can't even imagine, Lord, how I ever got through that without you. So there should be some thanksgiving, and that's something that we choose to do. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's not something that somebody teaches us. It's out of gratefulness of heart. With thanksgiving, make all your requests known to God. And what's going to happen, Greg? The promise from God is, is that um, the peace, the irene, the quietness. It means set it one again. Set it one again. You become one with God again. Isn't that, isn't that amazing to have that kind of peace with God? Not just that we're not at war, but now I have peace and I want to have your mind. I want to think the way you think. I want to love the way you love. I want to talk the way you talk. I want my hands to touch people the way your hands touch people. Irene. There's something that comes from knowing you're in the Hebrew 101, standing with God and knowing that he sent you to talk to people, that he called you out of darkness, that it wasn't you went out with a flashlight and found out, wow, I'm lost in the woods. He came to get you. He came to die for you. This is amazing stuff. And yet we live like we're still doing it. See, that's the other kind of peace is peace and rest from our works. 
That's why it's three times. We have to rest from our works because we continue to try in religion to be right with God when there's nothing we can do except enjoy the privilege, enjoy the place, enjoy going out to other people and showing them by our works, by our actions, by our words that Christ has set us free. Not that we're perfect. Here I am, Mr. Perfect. That's not what we're talking about. We're being perfected. We know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know we've been called by the the King of the universe. The one who spoke. I mean, you think he could speak and create universe, divide waters and create firmaments. and And then the trees and the birds and the animals and everything that exists and bring life and breathe life into dirt. And then he can't take care of our little bitty problems. That's the way we think. Listen, because the enemy with all of this that glitters, the enemy with all of these lies over here, the enemy with all these wars and these battles and all of these things going on makes us think, wow, things are way out of control. You know, in God's office, ain't nothing moving. Nobody's shaking except for what he's shaking. When he shakes it, you can trust him. That's a good thing. I used to pick up, I, I think about this, I used to pick up the kids and shake them, flip them upside downward and shake them and say, give me your lunch money. The only thing that's going to fall out is what God lets fall out of your life. And that's a good thing. It washes you, it cleanses you, it gets rid of those things that continue to draw your affection and your desires. It's shaking them out of your life. It's okay. You can walk on water now. Listen to me. Peace. Cease works of your hands. Enter into his rest, his peace, and the peace of God, the irony of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now listen, all understanding means any intellect. I mean, I usually do that little joke. Oh, all understanding. What's that mean? Let me tell you about it. No, you can't. It, it, it surpasses anything that you can think, any intellect, any great mind. You cannot figure out why you have that peace unless you attribute it to Jesus, unless you attribute it to the relationship, unless you attribute it to the fact that you know that he's coming to get you and he loves you and he can't lie. You have to attribute it to truth. And that's a person. You cannot use intellect and go, I know why, because... I did this. No, there's nothing you did. I know why. It's because I was going to. There's nothing you was going to. I know why. It, no, you can't understand it. He gives it to you. We just read, if you're reading through Genesis with us, my favorite, probably my favorite character in the Bible, other than Jesus, of course. Don't be picking on me and sending me emails. Joseph. Joseph, uh, I mean, and he's one of the biggest types of Christ, but never mentioned as a type of Christ, you know, and, and it just blows me away how no matter what goes on in his life, his brothers throw him in a pit and he could have said, this ain't no fair. And they sell him to the Ishmaelites and he could have said, that wasn't enough money. And he, then they goes to Potiphar's house and sold again. And he could have said, I don't like Potiphar. But this guy just continued. I'm, I know it's stupid, but he just continues. I'm sorry for the voices. It's what I do. It's not, I didn't plan it. Believe me. But that's what we do. We, actually, we do these things, but we don't realize how God is moving us to the right place. 
He's moving us to the right area. And we keep fighting him and we go, I cannot believe that my brothers did this. I cannot believe the Ishmaelites treated me like this. I cannot believe Potiphar believed that woman and cast me into prison. I cannot believe that baker forgot me and didn't tell Pharaoh about me like I said. When you, when you get there, remember me. But no, he just kept serving the Lord because he knew that his life was in God's hands. And he knew that whatever was going on, God was shaking out the rest and was going to use him for his glory. And that he was, he was perfectly safe in the beloved. And what does God do? God brings him out at the fullness of time. Think about it. Two more years in prison, if you just read it with us. Two more years in prison after he interpreted those dreams. And everything went perfect. You would think somebody would talk of him. You would think that the baker would say, wow, you don't even believe this, man. It, it, or no, excuse me, the butler would say, the baker got, he got, he was done. The, but you would think that the butler would say, man, I couldn't believe it. We were in prison and there was this guy in there and he was talking to us. And, and I don't even know who he was, but he was some Hebrew guy that said, yeah. And, and he, we had dreams, both of us, our own dreams. And he gave us interpretations perfectly of both of them. And it happened just like that. The baker was, and I got raised back up and put the cup in the king's hand again. You would think somebody would be promoting this guy because of his dr interpretation of dreams. And you know what? That butler was just so excited that he didn't get... <coughs> he forgot all about. Isn't that your life? Isn't that my life? When things are going good and we're not getting... <coughs> we forget all about Jesus. We forget all about the one who interprets dreams. We forget all about the one who's got our life in his hands. Isn't that the same with us? Oh, it's fine now. My paycheck. Woo! Got a big old paycheck. Got stuff going good. No flat tire. Oh, wait a minute. I remember my wrong. I remember my wrong. I need to remember the one who remembers me even when I'm not paying attention to him. The one who died for me. Irene. Spend time with God. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care where you've fallen short. I don't care what you're doing wrong. I don't care what you think life is about. If you want to have peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of a crazy battle, I'm not saying there won't be tears, there won't be heartache, there won't be pain. I'm saying you can have peace that surpasses all intellect. I have no idea why I'm laughing right now. I should be crying. I have no idea why I feel such at peace. It's because you're in the hands of God. And he loves you and he takes care of his family. And he's got you. But next week, you'll be like, oh yeah, wait a minute. And you'll be in pain and suffering. And you'll be blaming God. Oh, you won't say it out loud. But when you grumble and complain and you're not content with all things... And you're not trusting it. And you're not being a witness through it. And now it's like, I must have sinned and God's mad at me. God's not mad at you about your sin. Listen, your sin is paid for. And I know many pastors that say, oh, don't tell them that, Greg. Listen, stop focusing on sin. You've been set free so you can follow him, not wallow in sin. I'm not telling you to wallow in sin. But the devil wants you to wallow in sin and he wants you to be worried about your sin instead of getting into the word of God and learning to follow by the power of the Holy Spirit and set other people free because you're telling them the truth. 
Listen, you're set free to follow, not to wallow in sin. Focus on the Lord. Tell him what he has told you. That's what Mary Magdalene is doing now. Cast seven demons out of her. Her rebellion. She was from a tower, a tower of rebellion. And seven demons were cast out of her. And she's telling people about Jesus now. That's a picture of what the church is supposed to be doing. Not listening to the Tower of Babel, but listening to the voice of God and telling others. If you want to have Irene, part of it is ceasing from your works. Irene, that's peace, that's rest, that's quietness, that's cheerfulness. That's an amazing thing to have. Especially the way the world is today. But it's, there's nothing new under the sun. And, and you have God, when you have that peace that surpasses our understanding, it says it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that has the, the, the connotation of a sentry standing at your heart's door like this. See, because Jesus is protecting our heart. And he wants to tell you to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and allow only light, allow only life, allow only the love of God in and it starts to push out that other fruit. It starts to, to purge out and wash your desires. And it changes all those other things that are in there. And begins to create in you a heart for other people. For souls. Which is why God gave His Son. It's for souls. Not for stuff. Not for this life, which is really death, right? It's still the grave. We're whining and crying at the grave instead of realizing that the stone the builders rejected has been rolled away and he's come out and he's given us life and that more abundantly. No, I'd rather stay at the grave and worship death and cry and whine and blame everybody else instead of telling people that I'm free. I'd rather wallow instead of follow. Not you guys, just people in Texas. So, peace with God, Romans 5.1. Let's just read that, just so that we know that it's there. I like to look at scriptures, Romans 5.1. I don't want to spend, I, I, I have a hard time going to scriptures, because then I stay there too long, and then the sermon gets too long. Therefore, having been justified by faith, by faith we're just as if we never sinned. That's a fancy word for justification. Just as if we never sinned. We have peace with God. See, we were born dead, born at war. The wages of sin is death. And we're against God. Because we weren't listening to God. And had nothing in our sin nature would listen to God. We're enemies. We hate God. And by faith, we received Christ is righteousness, same word there for justification, just as if. It's the same word for righteousness. We have peace with God, no longer at war. He's no longer going to kill us for our sin because it's been fully paid. We believe that by faith, that we've been justified by faith, by grace alone, by faith alone. But grace that saves is not alone. Have you ever heard that? James says, faith without works is dead faith. Well, what works? We cease from our works. We begin to do the work that God wants us to do. What is that? Telling people that heaven's gates are open wide. Your sins are forgiven. That he paid for all the sin. That's the gospel. 
He paid for sin. Now we can come freely back to the family of God and be at peace, at one again. We can be at one in union with God again. Irene, set at one again. Prosperity, quietness, rest. Isn't that? And it's, it's to you. Peace to you. Peace with you. That's personal relationship. Jesus says three times to restore us in John chapter 20. So we have peace with God through this is the avenue. This is the only way. There's salvation in no other name except our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I'm not going to go anymore. I stop because then I'll start telling you all the other stuff. And we've got to get back to the text because we want to talk about peace. Listen, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, you shall be saved. And now you don't have war with God. You have peace with God. And now as peace with God, you can be at one again with God, doing the work of God and walking in the garden daily with God. And he gives you dominion over everything again. Oh, don't do it with haughtiness because, but you can do it with boldness. You don't have to do it with pride. You can do it with boldness because of who our dad is, our father is. Peace. And then as you begin to obey God and you begin to say, okay, Lord, that was me, wasn't it? Let me learn how to rest from my works. In fact, let's just go to Matthew 11. Is that it, Matthew 11? Matthew 11, uh, uh, and this, this one doesn't have the word peace in it, but I want you to see that we have to rest. We have to be at peace with God, and we can't do it in our own flesh. It has to be by faith in what he's doing. And Jesus actually says here in 11, uh, 20, can't read the numbers, 29, 28, come to me. Have you come to Jesus? Come to me, approach him. You can now. You can come to God. You can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All you, that's, a, that's whomsoever, all, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Really. How does it happen? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what a disciple does. Well, what's a yoke? That's when, you're, that's when you're, you're, you're bound together with somebody else. You're set at one again with somebody else, okay? What they would do in those days when they would grind the grain, they would take an old ox and a young ox. The old ox had already been grinding that grain for years, and they would yoke that young ox in the same thing, but they would put all the pressure on the old ox, and then the young ox is just walking with, just following along and they're crushing the grain but the power the strength the might everything that's being done and crushing the grain and providing for others is being done by the old ox the ancient of days and we come and we're yoked with jesus and all we have to do is remain there just stay there and then we're yoked with him. He's taken all the pressure. He's taken all the pain. He's taken all the death. He's taken all the punishment. And he's given us all the privilege to be there with him and be yoked with him and crush the grain and do the work of the ministry. But we have to cease from ours and take his yoke. It's a choice that still happens after you believe. Get in line with this. 
So many people, they just tell you, some man told you, say a prayer and you're saved. Listen, it's not in the Bible. Not picking on that man. I would pick on church tradition that doesn't line up with the Bible, though. Because, see, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, peace, you have peace with God. But then you need to move forward. Three times he says, peace be with you, or peace with you, or peace to you. He's restoring us. But there is a sanctification process in order for you, and as you begin to get into that and take his yoke, then you can walk into the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. But if you don't do the middle part of the race, the ending part don't go well. If you don't do the endurance part of the race, the ending part don't go right. You end up running in the wrong race, running in the wrong place. Listen, yes, peace is here. He is our peace. Yes, he's in our midst right now. But have you come to him? Or did you just say a prayer? Because somebody told you to say a prayer. It's very important that we come and then we take his yoke and we let him begin to do the work. We surrender as many as are led by the Spirit. These are the children of God. We surrender and allow the Spirit of God to begin to be the power and the strength and the might that washes and cleanses us, sanctifies us as we get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and we learn truth. And then as you do that, you have the word, you have truth, you have his presence, and you're assured of it, and you can have the peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of chaos. See, it's interesting because, see, these disciples really didn't have that at that time but it's available to them and they had to grow into it and go forward in it and we don't see that till the book of acts after they went and they obeyed and they waited in the upper room and then the spirit came upon them that's when they begin to have peace that's when they could stand up without fear they're hiding from these people right now but what happens when peter gives the first sermon he stands right up in front of them and says you crucified the lord of glory He's not afraid anymore. Right now, they're hiding behind the doors, afraid. Afraid of what? The Jewish leaders. Why? Because the Jewish leaders turned their leader, Jesus, over to Pilate and had him killed. So they know that the Jewish leaders might come back and say, you know what? Peter was the head of that gang, and I think that he's going to try to start this all over again. Can you go get Peter, round him up, kill him? And so they're hiding for fear that somebody might kill them because they haven't come to this relationship yet and he's coming and restoring them. In fact, he even told Peter, when you return to me, strengthen the brethren. That's what we're called to do. Strengthen the brethren. Anyway, uh, take my yoke upon you. This is still 11, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. That's what a disciple does. He's a learner. He's a pupil. For I am gentle. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, Paul would tell the church in Thessalonica. And lowly in heart. That's uh, humble. And you will find rest for your souls. Man, isn't that, 
isn't that nice to have rest in your soul? That your soul's not searching anymore for somebody to pay for your sin. That your soul, your mind, will, and emotion is not out there seeking and trying to figure out what do I do next? How do I get by? What am I going to do now? No, you're resting in the beloved. You're coming to him. You've just put your whole life in his hand because you know that he died for you and nobody else is going to die for you. Scarcely will a man die for his brother. Maybe they'll take a bullet for you. I don't know. It's awful good for people to say. Hopefully they never put into that position where they have to take a bullet for you. You might find out that they'll dive quicker than you and duck faster than you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that cool? You don't have to crush your back. He's going to do all the work for you. He's done it at the grave. So they're assembled together and they're afraid that they're going to be arrested, killed, maybe whatever is going to happen to them. They've watched it happen to their master and he comes and he stands right in the midst. Wait a minute. I thought the door was shut and the door was locked. See, we can talk all day about this. He just appears there. I don't know. Listen, a lot of people will say he walked through the wall. I don't know whether he walked through the wall or just materialized there i have no idea but he was just there the door is locked they're afraid the jews are going to get them they're hiding assembled behind locked doors where nobody can catch them and all of a sudden there he is standing in their midst he's here now he's standing in our midst right now listen to me god is a spirit he took flesh to come down and die for us to be a sacrifice so we could be at peace with him again. And now he's back in spirit again. The body, we're not going to see the body again until we get to heaven. The only thing in heaven is going to be the scars on his body that was man-made. Everything else, God made. But that was God's choice to take that punishment for us in his love. Listen to me. He's standing there. The, the important part is not, did he walk through the wall? The important part is not, did he just materialize? The important part to get is what he's trying to teach us as disciples of his that would come to him, that would learn. He wants them to understand that although they can't see him, he's still there. See, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you follow your eyes, you're not walking by faith. And he's going to make all of these cameo appearances with them. And, and, and he's going to deal with them where they can understand that even when he's not there standing in the flesh, he knows what they're thinking about. He knows their inmost secrets. He knows everything they're struggling with. He knows better than we know what's going on in our life. And he deals with those things and those obstacles and everything that would stumble us if we would just listen. But he's going to appear to them several different times. And, and what he does, watch what he happens when he deals with Thomas. Look how he deals with Thomas. And Thomas, I'm going to tell you, is, is the type of somebody that wasn't there that then didn't see him, but they're being told to believe when they can't believe unless God reveals it to them. Nobody in your life, nobody around you, nobody that you evangelize to can believe unless the Spirit of God opens their eyes. You can't do it with your works. So you need to get to the throne room. You need to begin to pray for them. You need to stay focused on praying and then sharing with them. But prayer has to come first. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer to all nations. He didn't say it'll be a house of evangelism. He didn't say it'll be a house of the word. He didn't say my house will be a house of fellowship. Even though all of those things are true, 
He said, my house should be a house of prayer where we're dependent upon him, where we come to him, where we wait upon him, where we trust in him, where we live for him. Not for everything else that leads us around like a carrot dangling before our nose. Listen to me. He's there. He comes into the middle. He stands there in the midst of them and he offers peace to them. That's what God has done. He's come down and offered us peace through the, his beloved son. And then look at this verse, verse 20. Notice this because I'm really weird. It's 2020. It's 2020. Where do you get perfect vision at? What does the world call perfect vision? 2020. Here's chapter 20, verse 20. And what happens? Am I in the right chapter even? Oh, where he had said, he stood in the midst. He said, peace to you, verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, 2020. When they saw the evidence, when they saw the proof, when they heard his voice, then they saw. Listen, his voice was first. Notice how the text is going. Notice what's being said. When he had said this, see, they heard his voice first, and then they looked and seen the evidence. You're going to see it also with Thomas. You're not going to see Thomas ever touching. You're going to see Thomas hearing his voice and answering his voice. Because that's what he's trying to train us to do is to hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. They don't wallow in sin. They follow me and I lead them out. They go in and out and they find pasture. They're fed. They're taken care of. They're part of my house now. They're the sheep of my fold now. You can trust him. So he spoke. He showed him his hands. He showed him his rib, which that's what that word side means. It goes back to Genesis where the bride came out of Adam's rib. Don't know how it works, but I like it. It's fine. Don't have to understand it to go wow and to believe it. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Have you seen the Lord? It means full discernment. Have you seen the Lord in your life? No, I didn't ask you if you said a prayer with some guy up on front of some altar. Have you seen the Lord show up in your life? See, there's a big difference between us saying we know God and God knowing us. See, when he shows up and breathes on you like he's getting ready to do to them, then you know you've met the Lord. But when some man shows up and tries to lead you in some man exercises, some outside physical things that you can see, it doesn't mean that the Lord has showed up in your life. It means that some man has showed up in your life. But when the evidence of your life is changed by the fruit of your life, that means God has showed up. When you begin to repent and change your mind and there's different fruit and there's a different life, that means that God has showed up. He's a God of life, not a God mourning and weeping at a gravesite and still blaming everybody else for life. And there's fruit and there's always evidence and the evidence is what he's showing them that he has rose again, that he is the Messiah, the Mashiach of God. 
and that he was the chosen to come and take away the sins of the world. And now he's offering peace to them and he shows them the evidence that it is I. So Jesus said to them again, now that they were glad when they saw the Lord and they realized it's him, peace to you. He says again, Irene humane. Irene humane. It's personal. Peace to you personally. It has to be personal. Because you can't get in on anybody else's coattails. Listen, you can't say I belong to Harvest Chapel. You can't say my parents were Christians. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He has children. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It matters what God calls you. And it's personal. It's a personal love relationship where you hear his voice. He knows you and you follow him. You don't wallow in the old life. So he says, peace to you. And then what does he do? This, he says, as the Father has sent me, apostello, one sent forth, I also send you. That's, that's amazing. And, and I could sit and do a, probably a whole book on this. As the Father sent me. How did the Father send him? We could look at it in so many ways. Um, he says, uh, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You think that's what he did with his son? Go down there. They're going to kill you, son. Hang out for a while. Tell them all the good stuff and the truth, and they're still going to kill you because they hate me. No matter what you say to them, they're going to kill you, son. Go down and die for them. I, I can only imagine the conversation. But think about it. This is for us to learn. As the Father in love, as the Father as a sacrifice, as the Father in truth, knowing all things beforehand, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Now see, this is just John's rendition of Matthew 28, 18. All authority has now been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And see, at the same time as he's sending them, he's teaching them. What do you mean go? Well, I don't mean go do it yourself. Because he's going to breathe on them in the next line and give them the power to go. So he certainly doesn't want them to go in their own strength. Because Jesus didn't come in his own strength. He was an apostle. He was one sent forth. He had a mission. He was listening to the authority. He learned perfect obedience by the things that he suffered. Because he listened to the Father, not to himself. That's the same way we're being sent. Listening to the Word of God, the, the truth of God, the Spirit of God. Not what we want to do, but what He tells us to do. We've been sent the same way. Not with our own plans, not with our own lives, not with our own American dreams and our own careers and our own things at the end of the line because there's some type of a, 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 a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. This is about living sacrifices, suffering and dying so that souls can come to life. This is about going and sharing a message that people hate to hear. 
They're going to hate us. The same way they killed Jesus, they killed every one of the disciples. Yet we play some type of church stuff in America and around the world and other places. Oh, just say a prayer right here and you'll be fine. Everybody will love you. Really? Where did that gospel come from? The pit of hell? You don't have to change anything. Just say a prayer and then just go about your life as normal. Come to church on Sundays and put some money in our pot so that we can keep building our kingdom. We'll love you for that. Oh, yeah. Come and, and eye the clothes instead of close your eyes. Instead of worshiping God, you think that worship is just music and singing. Worship is not music. Oh, yes, it's a, it's a type of worship. But when you are singing to God... You're, you're opening your heart. The gates of heaven are opening. You're entering into God's throne room and He's plowing the, the hard heart and the Word of God comes to be planted in you. That's what song is about. It doesn't become worship until you obey God. When you bow down, when you change your mind, then it becomes worship. Worship is dying. The very first time it's used, Genesis 22, when Abraham says, me and the son, me and the lad will go and worship God. You guys stay here. See, it's the father and the son alone. It's you and God alone. That's true worship. When you begin in your heart to obey. And when he began to raise the knife and the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, don't lay it. A finger on the lad for now I know you fear God he said God will provide himself a sacrifice and then there was a covering a goat in the thicket that covered until the day that Jesus came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world we're now learning about his resurrection we're now seeing that they're looking at his hands and his feet and the scar in his side then they're seeing the evidence that he truly was a sacrifice and that he truly died and rose again and it changes a life it's not costume jewelry. It's not something you do for men because you can pretend to men, but you can't pretend to God. He knows everything about us. So lying to men is pretending to God. Pretending to men is lying to God. Do you have peace with God? Listen, God already knows what you're going to do tomorrow to sin. And he didn't run off. He already died for it. And he says, get your life focused on following me instead of wallowing in your sorrow, wallowing in your sin, wallowing in the, the, the things of this life that mean nothing. And he sent us the same way the Father sent him, a sheep in the midst of wolves. I mean, I've got a ton of verses right here. All the way through John, he's been talking about this, how God sent, the Father sent him. i got a ton of verses here, um, and I can't even go through them all. But you can go back and read them. Do a search about sent. Do a search about send. And in fact, when he sends us, it's a different word than the one the Father sent him, apostello. It's actually the word pimpo. And I, it's P-E-M-P-O. And I can't, even, I can't even decide in my brain if I should talk about the fact that it sounds like a pimp. Think about that for a minute. Is that where the word pimp comes from? 
when the master of that girl sends her out and she's supposed to do everything? I, oh, I know, we, we bastardized it. We turned it into dirty, evil, crummy stuff. But we're the bride of Christ and we're supposed to be here doing his work and being sent out to tell others about him. And we talk about everything but him. We're supposed to be lifting him up and we lift up everything except him. I'm not picking on nobody. I'm talking about the, the fundamentals of the gospel, about what we're being told. Let's write a book and lift ourselves up. Let's preach a sermon and lift ourselves up. Let's talk about ourselves and what we've been doing and lift ourselves up. What about what Christ has done? has finished to telestai. It's paid in full. We have peace with God. Heaven's gates are open wide. Irene, we can be set at one with God again, back in his family. Well, that's not real important, Greg. I already said a prayer. I just want to go talk about who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. I just want to go talk about everything that I was doing this week and the projects I'm working on. Again, I'm not being mean, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you've been in the Word of God and you're seeing what God is doing and what He's done and He's opening your eyes to Scriptures, you want to talk about Scripture. And it doesn't matter what they're talking about. You want to bring it back to Scripture because they're lost. When you see the evidence of their heart out of the abundance of their mouth, they speak and they're talking about something that doesn't matter. It's a hill of beans compared to the gospel You're not being rude to them. You're waiting for opportunity to shine light in their darkness and what they love, what they're serving, what they're worshiping. And you just want to shine that little light on it and go, you know, Jesus loves you. Die for your sins. So he sends us the same way. With power. With might. With authority. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're dead if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Listen, you're dead if you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have no teacher, you have no guide, you have no leader. You're dead if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because you were born dead with Adam. And the only way to come to life and come out of the grave and walk out of the tomb and let people unwrap the graves close, Lazarus, him whom God helped, the only way to come out of that is by Jesus breathing on you and you receiving the Holy Spirit. That's called new life. That's called real life. And that more abundantly. He breathed on them. Now, listen, there's a, there's a, a, a version of the Bible that during this time, probably about 40 years before Christ, uh, a group of men got together and they said, everything's going to Koinonia Greek. Alexander the Great had been running everything. Everything's Koinonia Greek. And our Old Testament is still in Hebrew. And lots of the people are not learning Hebrew. So let's write an Old Testament that is written in Koinonia Greek. And you know what? This word for breathed on is used one other time in the whole of the Bible. And it's in Genesis 2-7, 2-7, where God took dirt and formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. But sin came in between then and now. Listen. And they were dead 
born dead with a sin nature. And now when they meet Jesus and he offers them peace and he says, I'm sending you, then he breathes on them and he breathes the same breath of life back into their mortal bodies. So now they're awake again. They're alive again. They've been following, you know, John 14, 6, I will be with you and then I will be in you the Holy Spirit. So they've been following Jesus all this time with the Holy Spirit just being with them. With them, alongside. Send them out in twos. Holy Spirit's there. Holy Spirit's taking care of it. Old Testament, the same way the Old Testament was. The Holy Spirit was there, but He wasn't in them. He came up on some for service, kings and prophets. But now with the New Testament, now with Christ, now fulfilling and it's all no more types. He comes and fulfills it. Now that spirit comes in. He's with us alongside one who comes alongside to help. But now when you say you trust him, you believe him. I want your peace. He comes in and he's inside our dark, dirty hearts our mind, will, and emotion, and everything about us. And he buys us back, and he places his righteousness and his justification in there. And it's your flesh that keeps going out and wallowing. Not your soul, it's been bought. Not your spirit, it's been bought. But you still have to make a decision. Am I going to go? Am I going to be choosing this mission to be sent as the Father sent him? Am I going to go and receive power? And when you begin to do that, Acts 1.8 comes into mind. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you, can't, you cannot outgive God. The more of your life, the more of your time, the more of your service, the more of what you do, the more he will give you. And the evidence and the fruit will be some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. The evidence and the fruit will be obvious. Listen to me. You don't want to wait till you approach the throne room in heaven for real and say, what happened when I said a prayer with that man? What you want to know is, has Christ breathed on you and you received the Holy Spirit? Because if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not God's. If you do not have the seal of the Holy Spirit, when he comes to take the church home, you will not go. And you do not want to find that out after you look around and go, where's everybody at? I like telling that uh, story where we had a home in Lafayette and a couple of the guys left in the middle of the night. They said they were sick of it. It's wintertime. They wanted to go get high and wallow instead of follow. And, uh, when they left, they left the back door standing wide open. Another one of the guys comes down and goes, what in the world? Where's everybody at? Why is the door wide open? Oh, my goodness. Did the rapture happen? And they go, let's go knock on Chuck's door. We had a head steward. He, they knock on his door. He goes, what are you guys doing? And they go, oh, man, they're gone. What happened? It was at the rapture. They go, let's call Greg. If he's still here, it ain't the rapture. And it was, it was hilarious. I mean, and I am, not the, I am not the plumb line. That was a bad statement. But that's what they said. I am not the plumb line. Listen, don't believe any man. You can follow man while they follow Jesus, but you need to have Jesus breathe on you. Not a prayer, but a life of prayer, a life of worship. You need to know you have the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. 
There's liberty to follow, not to wallow. Where the Spirit of God is, you've been set free for freedom's sake. Listen to me. Don't know whether a man has laid his hands on you. Know whether God has. Whether God has breathed new life in you. And the fruit of your life is going to change. You're not going to keep bearing death when you've breathed life in. Into dirt. Those who do not deserve it. Romans 5.8 He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit? If you ask, you can. Look at uh, Luke eleven thirteen. Luke eleven thirteen. All you have to do is ask God. If you're if you're concerned and going, wow, I've been trying to live this life in my own esteem. I haven't rested and come to Him. I haven't taken His yoke, and He's not the one leading me. I'm I'm actually just doing what I think is right. See, that's the days of judges. There was no king, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and they ended up in death. Eleven thirteen. I I, I can read the whole thing now. Let's start in eleven. Let's just do 11.11. I, I don't want to, to, to teach the text. I want you to see the finality. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? <laughs> it's almost like nonsense, huh? Hey, Dad, can I get a, a fish? I'm, I'm hungry. No, here's a serpent, though. Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Hey, Dad, I need an egg. I want to fry an omelet. Now, here's a scorpion, though, that'll bite you and kill you. Listen, if you then, being evil, listen, we're evil. Notice that word backward is live. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask him? Listen, if you want to say a prayer, ask God for the Holy Spirit to seal you. Ask God to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and be your guide, your teacher, your lead, to wash you and cleanse you, to give you eyes to see Jesus so you can stop living for yourself and begin to live for Him. That's what we need is the Holy Spirit because that's the relationship that's going on in the church today. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And the children of God listen to God's house, to God's authority. They have a relationship. He knows them. They follow Him. They don't wallow in the world and hang out in the world and get a whole bunch of everything else and then think that they're going to go out and talk about Jesus. Whatever you're taking in, whatever light, that's how dark your heart is. Not going to teach that text either. So we all have sanctification to deal with. It's the middle of the race. It's the part we do while we're here. It's the, it's the fruit on the tree that people see the example of a changed life that's no longer chasing the same thing, following the same thing, living the same way, talking the same way. But the Spirit of God has come in, a new operating system, if you will, of truth and light and life. And now it begins to shine out of, of a life because the Spirit of God has sealed us until the day of redemption. And as you begin to understand that and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, then you can do what Acts 1.8 says and ask for power to be a martyr, a witness, martyreo. 
one who dies for their faith, one who dies completely to what they want to do and begins to do the work of God and become a witness in this grand courtroom throughout Jerusalem, teaching peace, Judea, praising God, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. But it's not about what we're doing. It's about what he's doing through us. We're privileged to be involved as a vessel with his Holy Spirit. But then the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Epi. It's a threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm not teaching that right now. I'm trying to explain that. He's alongside you. And you can go, oh, I got a head knowledge of what's going on. But when Christ breathes upon you, he comes and lives in your house. He starts doing complete home makeover, tearing down walls. You're changing your mind and you're going, that wall is not going to work right there. That was a time when I was hard hearted. Take that wall out. Let's put in all these new beams. Let's make this look like a house of God. And let's have it a place to worship. And let's make it a house of prayer where God can abide and live and shine out of my life. And he begins to do that complete makeover. And people say, wow, I can see the Spirit of God in that person. There's, there, there's power in his walk. There's authority in his talk. And it seems that he knows Jesus. He's not hiding behind a locked door. I'm, it's fun to hide behind a locked door. I, I don't know, you guys, I, I like that. I'm a hermit. I'm a hermit. In the flesh. But in the spirit, we've been given mission. We've been called. We've been sent. Doesn't matter what we like to do. It's what we're called to do. What we're, we're gifted to do. What we're privileged to do. And people around us are dying. Look at verse 23. One of the most controversial verses in the Bible. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, people who are what's called cessationist, they might say that these apostles were given the power to forgive sin and that that's no longer exists anymore because it ceased once the Bible was written. A lot of the gifts that they say were given, the people that are called cessationist, they say that it ceased after the church got established. I say God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and nothing ceases until he says it's over with. And that's when he wraps it up and puts a bow on it, which he's getting ready to do, and the Antichrist is going to appear, and we're going to be gone in the rapture of the church. But listen to me. This verse is no more than what we've already been told to do. We can't forgive sin. Remember they brought the man in the cot and they tried to get him in, couldn't get him in, so they took the roof off and they lowered him down and, and he says, your sins are forgiven you. And they said, oh, who can forgive sins except God? We're not God. Even though we've been sent with the authority of God, I cannot forgive anybody's sin. And he said that you may know that the Son of Man has uh, authority to forgive sin on earth. Rise, take up your bed and walk. There was evidence behind the sin being forgiven. There was evidence of the freedom that a person could walk on their own now with the authority of God. And they were a living trophy of grace and people could see that their life had changed because they had met Jesus and been forgiven. Listen, we can't forgive anybody, but we can tell them that heaven's gate are open wide, that Christ died for the sins. 
or we can remain silent. And when we remain silent, we're, we're retaining their sins. They don't even know. How can they know unless someone brings the gospel to them? How can they repent unless somebody tells them that there's salvation in no other name? That's the freedom that's being given here. No matter what the scripture says. In fact, the words are actually, the words are actually different. It's um, remit. If you remit the sins of any, it means to send forth or, or, or from a word that means to uh, uh, off or send away, to forgive, to lay aside, to put away. Now, if somebody sins against me, I already know that the Bible tells me I need to forgive them or God won't forgive me. There's lots of scripture about forgiveness. You don't want to hold it in your heart and become bitter. So why would Jesus give them something that contradicts the Bible? If you want to retain it, retain it. Just go ahead and become bitter. That's not what this is talking about. It's not somebody that sins against you. It's announcing freedom and, and announcing that heaven's gate is open wide, announcing that the grave is empty and that there's forgiveness, that everybody's sin has been paid for, but you must come and repent and receive that free gift. That's what we're called to do. That's why he said, I'm sending you. That's why he said, I'm breathing on you and giving you power. And then he said, go and tell people is all that verse says. And if you don't tell them, then you're leaving them in their sin and you don't love them anyway. That's what that verse is saying. And I can break down the words for you, but it doesn't help any. The Bible is consistent. And John just says it a different way for you. If you retain their sins, means uh, it, it's the word krato. It means to use strength or to hold fast or, or lay at hand uh, 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 to be of power over them. Listen, set people free. Don't be power over them by, telling, by acting like you're the source. That would be against the gospel. We're not the source of forgiveness. We're the source of the gospel message that delivers what we've been sent to give. The same way Jesus did. He came with the Father's plan and delivered the kingdom of God. He spoke it and then he died because that's what he came for in the fullness of time. And that's what we're here for. That's why he's left us here. Go over to Acts. Acts chapter 26. Paul, given his testimony, always given his testimony. Well, he wrote a lot of letters. Yeah, he's also beaten and shipwrecked and thrown in prison and given his testimony all the time. We only see him do it three times. Same way Jesus gives us peace three times, he gave his testimony three times. But in Acts 26, he recounts how he was converted. And let's just read it all. I just want to get to a certain part. I think I got time to read it. Verse uh, 26, 12. You know his testimony, right? He was, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had letters he was arresting and putting in prison and killing people that were of the way. And it says, while thus occupied, he was occupied with doing the work of the devil, occupied with doing the work of the Roman, or excuse me, the, the Jewish authorities who these people are hiding from in our text, the Jewish authorities that had Jesus killed. He's occupied with doing the same thing against everybody else that's of the way. So them hiding behind doors was not uh, because there was nobody out there trying to get them. Because as soon as things calmed down, Paul went on a frenzy. His name was actually Saul at that time, Saul of Tarsus. 
while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority, not God's authority, and commission from who? The chief priest, men. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me, And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me. Listen, this is his conversion, Acts chapter 9, uh, road to Damascus. Saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And of course, we did the cattle product goad. It's something that pushes you in a direction what's going on in your life and i have to i have to keep i have to keep pointing this out see god allows goads god allows things in your life that they might be painful oh that hurt and, and it goads you into a certain direction where you either deal with it in a godly way with god's wisdom or you deal with it in your own way and when you're kicking against the goads, you're dealing with it with your own wisdom, your own way, and you're ignoring God. But everything in life is so that you will cry out to God. The only reason you're here is so that you might grope around in the dark and find Him. But He's not far from us. He's not hidden. He's light. He's here. He's wanting a relationship with us. He died for us. He's not trying to hide from His people. He's wanting you to come and surrender to Him. So he's kicking against the goads. So 15, so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen discern clearly, and of the things which I will reveal to you. Listen, why did Christ come to you? Why did you receive the Spirit? Why are your eyes open? Why, if you have the Holy Spirit, did God give you the Spirit? Same reason. He's called you for a purpose. You're supposed to be a minister and a witness. No other purpose. 17 is what I wanted to get you to. I will. Notice who, what God is doing in His will. I will deliver you. Who's the deliverer? God. I will deliver you. God can deliver us all. If we trust him. From the Jewish people. Isn't that interesting? Wait a minute. I am with the Jewish people. Wait a minute, God. I am, got letters from the chief priest and the Jewish people. But God's already declaring to him what's going to happen in the future. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. See, God already knows. He's sending him. He knows there's going to be trouble. He knows he's going to have to come and deliver him later. To open their eyes. Listen, this is why he's sending us. And the only way their eyes are going to open is when they hear truth. When they hear that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. When they hear that, that the grave is no longer got bones in it. He's alive. When they hear of the resurrection, when they hear the gospel, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, that's salvation, and from the power of Satan to God. See, so many people in the church today are under the power of Satan, and they think they're serving God because they go to church. But they're still underneath the power of the lie. They're still underneath the power of the devil. They haven't turned and come to God. 
and it's all over the church. And Jesus says, don't try to tear out the goats. Don't try to tear out the tares because you'll damage the wheat and the sheep. But we clearly know when we know the Bible that this is going on in the kingdom of God, in the church today. That people sit there that have no idea. They're still underneath the power of Satan because they won't come to him. They won't receive his commission. They won't listen and receive the Holy Spirit. But they'll say a prayer that man tells them to say. But they will not check the evidence and check the fruit and begin to examine their life to see if they're even in the faith. They will not repent. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. See, that's why he's sending them. That's why I've got you here. This is why he sent Paul. We have the Bible commentating on the Bible. The reason he's now sending them. The reason he's sending me and you. The reason he gives us the Holy Spirit to do it is so that when we preach the gospel, people can be released from darkness to light. Their eyes are open. The power of Satan to God. And they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are what? Sanctified by faith in Christ. By faith in me. Christ speaking to Paul on the road to Damascus. The middle of the race is sanctification. Without the sanctification, you're going to be confused about the starting of the road and the front of the road. You're going to be confused about what happens. But he literally breathes on us. He literally gives us the Holy Spirit when we believe. Here we're seeing it on the pages. But the evidence is how you live afterwards. That's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not talking about sitting around guests wondering and worrying. Look, in fact, John says later in 1 John 5.13, look what he says in 1 John 5.13 in case you want to know Oh, man, I don't want to just sit around and worry and guess and wonder. These things I have written to you who believe, you trust in the name, the character and the nature of the will of the Son of God, that you may know, not guess, wonder, and worry, that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Listen, you can know it by having the peace that surpasses all understanding. By bearing fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. By being concerned about souls. By dying to self and stop worrying about self when God's got you. But what we usually worry about if we're in the flesh is just me. Me first and then if I got any left over, you get some. I'm glad God didn't do that. I am so glad God didn't do it. He gave us his first fruits, his firstborn. His best. And we give God what's left over. So then we have this. We're in the upper room. He's sending them to preach the gospel is what he's doing. And if you preach the gospel proper, properly, there's forgiveness in no other name but the name of Jesus. And if people receive that in their conscience and they believe it, then they receive the Holy Spirit the same way that they just did. Then they receive a, a discipleship where they're sent to go. But if they don't receive it, then their sins are retained. There's only one way to get rid of your sin nature, and that is to come to the Deliverer, the Lamb of God, who died for the sins of the world. But we can declare it. I can't forgive your sins. 
unless you sinned against me, I could say, I forgive you. Seven times seven. But you're still going to hell because you sinned against God and you haven't talked to him. So see, the message is to go in his power and tell them how to be set free, but to walk it out in front of them. And then they know if theirs are being retained or if there's evidence of salvation in their life that they've met with Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that when you share the gospel with them and they've forgiven that they'll never sin again. I didn't say that. And I know many Christians would be mad at me for saying that. But you're supposed to follow, not wallow. If you're wallowing, you're not following. If you're following, you're not going to wallow. You're going to mourn over your sin. You're going to ask for forgiveness. You're going to say, this is wrong. Lord, what do I do to get rid of this? And you keep following. And he's the only one that can take away sins. You can't do it by doing it yourself. You have to come to him. He's the only one that can change your heart. That's why you stay in the light. You have fellowship with the light. The people that are struggling with this are the people that won't get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. The people that are struggling with this won't do the basics of the gospel. They won't get involved in body life. And the devil isolates and decimates them. And then they go, I had never done nothing for me. But God's already provided a perfect salvation, a perfect plan, a perfect way, a perfect gift, a perfect heaven, a perfect home. Everything's perfected in the beloved. But you have to come to him. Now, there are those that will argue a little bit. And let's move on and we'll see them. Verse 24. Now, Thomas... Now, I think Thomas gets a bad rap, so I will defend him. Thomas, which means twin, and I could really give you a whole sermon on this. I don't know if you know that twins are all the way through the Bible. I don't know if you know that Cain and Abel were twins. See, all of us, we have twins. We have two natures living in of us, if you want to call it this. And this is Thomas. We're Thomas. And we weren't there when this was going on, and we said, yeah, but I got to see if I was there and I could have seen him die and seen him rose. See, we're all Thomas. That's why he's separated. He's out. He wasn't in the room. Now he's going to be in the room. And now you're in the room. And now Jesus is standing in our midst. And you have to believe it by faith. Listen to me. Thomas is a twin. Deutimus. Pretty interesting, really. The King James says Deutimus. Ours doesn't say Deutimus. King James says it, though. Thomas the twin. If you go follow it, Cain and Abel were twins and one nature killed the other. And then if you follow a little bit further, Isaac and Rebekah, uh, they had uh, Jacob and Esau. One God loved, the other he hated. One sold his birthright and said, I don't care nothing about God. I want some lentil soup. And then if you move forward, you have with Tamar, who slept with her father-in-law, you have Perez and Zerah. If you look at Abraham and Lot, that's a type of the flesh and the spirit. One was separated from the world. The other went down in the world. One was talking with God and cooking him a meal and sitting down with him. The other was down in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, raising his children to live like the world. And then in us, we have two natures now. And you have to choose which one you're going to let live. And the one you feed the most is the one that will live. It will dominate your life. 
If you feed your flesh and you think everything's about flesh and you think that all this stuff is good and you keep eating it, you keep digesting, you keep believing their lie and their earthly, sinful, demonic wisdom and you get caught up in the physical, then don't be surprised when you reap the physical and that life is a disaster. You don't have peace. You don't have rest. You don't have comfort. You don't know where to turn. Who do I talk to now? Well, you got to get involved in the body of Christ. You got to become the family of God. You got to allow him to chip away and you become part of the building of God. And then there's always somebody to call because you made relationships in your new family. Don't worry. Everybody already knows you're the weird uncle. We already know you're the confused aunt. All of us are. None of us have arrived but every day we're learning more and more and more and we're growing and we're coming together to help one another take off the grave clothes because we don't want to live in the tomb. Lazarus got up. They unwrapped him. He was sitting at the table with Jesus again with Mary and Martha because he listened. He heard his voice. He followed. He didn't wallow. Yeah, but you wrapped me up. You let me stay four days. This is ridiculous. I ain't coming out to talk to you anymore. I'm mad at you. Blame, blame, blame. I'm a victim. I'm sorry. I better shut up and get moving. So Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them. He wasn't in fellowship. Listen, was not with them. They were all in one place, and he's like, I got something else to do. I'm not with this, guys. I'm just reading into the text my opinion when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, so they're witnessing what they saw, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless, lest, unless, except King James. It's a qualified negation. It's not a no, but it's qualified. Unless I see and touch, I'm not going to believe i got to have some more evidence. That's why I defend him. He's not just going to believe any voice, any witness, anything. He wants to investigate. I think there's good qualities in that. He's not doubting. Because if you go look in the other Gospels, every one of them doubted it was the Lord. He just wants some more evidence. Unless I see, discern clearly. This is good because, see, so many people think they're the church and they're not the church. They haven't received the Holy Spirit, but they said a prayer with man. They think they're okay, so they don't do anything else. They're not putting themselves on trial and saying, is there enough evidence to convict me of being a Christian that's spirit-filled, that's listening to God, that's following God? Now, Thomas could have said, yeah, that's good, thanks. But he said, wait a minute. I'm not going to be deceived here. Keep going. I'll keep going. Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his rib, his side, I will not believe. Now listen to me. This is what the other disciples did. They go, we seen the Lord, and we did this, and we touched that. We've handled him concerning the word of life. And after eight days, now notice he said that to them. Jesus wasn't there. Although, guess what? He was there, wasn't he? In spirit, because he's everywhere. After eight days, here's the new beginning. Eight. Eight days. 
his disciples, those that were learning, were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Now Thomas is in the right place. He's in fellowship. Jesus came, the doors being shut, meaning that they're locked. The doors are shut. Nobody's in, and he came some other way. We don't know how he came. He materialized or he walked through a door because his glorified body can walk through stuff. I don't know that. I'm not making that up for you. I'm telling you, he was just there. And I don't know how that happened, and I'm not going to read into it. And he stood in their midst. I don't know if you know, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And he stood in their midst twice, and he is life. And said, peace to you. Once again, he offers it. And he's offering it personally to Thomas. Because he's there to address Thomas's unless. He's there to address Thomas's unbelief. He's there to address Thomas's faithlessness about him being risen look verse 27 then he said specifically to the twin to thomas reach your finger here so as far as we know unless he grabbed his hand and put him there he was just pointing at his wounds and look at my hands he holds them up and reach your hand here and put it in my rib my side do not jesus says to him clearly do not be unbelieving but believing, pistio, pistio, to commit, to trust your spiritual well-being into Christ. He is the Messiah, the Christ. Do not be unbelieving. He's telling us not to be unbelieving, not to be faithless. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we continue to draw near and get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, we are being obedient to God so that we are not being trained by the world to be unbelieving. And notice what Thomas answered. Not what Thomas did. Listen, he heard his voice and they're having a conversation and he answered. It doesn't say Thomas reached out, touched him, felt it and said, okay, now I believe because I sing. It says he answered because it required an answer and said to him, my Lord and my God. See that? He's seen him as supreme in authority, as kurios, as his teacher, as his master, and then as God of the universe. But we never see that he had to touch it. He heard his voice, and he answered his voice. But we know that he's seen it and could discern it clearly. He was looking at him, but we don't know that he had to touch it. We don't know that he ever touched him. I'm just telling you, don't read into the text. Don't read into the text. Seeing it's enough for him to say, my Lord and my God. But listen, what he says to him. Well, it's a personal thing. Let me say that to you first. My is personal. My Lord, my God. What did he tell Mary Magdalene to go tell him? I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. That's what you need to believe. That the Father had a plan and He sent a Son to save us and He's the one that spoke and created the heavens and earth and all things were created through Him so He can do the rest and we have an anchor to our soul. So the declaration can only be made. So I believe right here that He received the Holy Spirit in order to say, my Lord and my God. 
Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, trusted, committed your entire spiritual well-being into me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. Listen. Because he's doing these cameo things. Now think, pay attention because you might miss this. Think about it. Thomas had a conversation with other disciples, has never seen Jesus, and he tells them, unless I touch, unless I see, unless I do, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus comes and addresses his heart. Jesus knew what he said. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what your heart is. This is not, this is not, they went away and found Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, guess what Thomas says, unless you do. He, he was already there. He was already in the room and he wants them to understand that I was in the room when you said that, Thomas. And I know this is what it's going to take in order for you to believe. But you should believe by faith. You should walk by faith. Those that have been justified walk by faith. They trust me because I'm a spirit. You don't need to see me. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it, the elders received a good testimony. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for you first must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who say a prayer, those who go to church, those who attend a Bible study. Man, I'm missing this. Wait, let me try to remember what Hebrews 11:6 says. Those who diligently seek Him. What are you seeking in life? What are you asking, seeking, and knocking? If I'd have did Luke all of it, that's what he's talking about when he says, "If you ask me for the Holy Spirit, I'll give it to you." What are you seeking in life? Thomas found his Lord and his God. He was seeking a Lord and a God. And if you haven't seen him and still believe by faith, you're blessed. That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. It's by faith. It's a life of faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you should walk in them. That's the middle of the race, the sanctification, finding out, seeking, walking circumspectly. What is the will of God? Well, for me to say a prayer and then go live like hell in the world and wallow in my sin. No, it's to follow. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. God doesn't want to leave you weeping at the tomb when he's not there. He's alive. He's seated in heaven. He is actually praying. And he says, you should be praying. Because there's a lot of voices down here that are lying. There's a lot of places you could be that is a lie. There's a lot of things you could be doing that is a lie. Thirty and truly, Jesus did many other signs. We've been at this verse many times: miracles, wonders, supernatural things that tell you it's an identification. It actually means a mark. Signs means a mark. This marks him as the Lamb of God because he couldn't have done it without the power of God. 
So it's a mark. It's a sign, though, that John uses. It's like if this wall right here is painted, and you go, wow, there's a brown wall. But if I hang a sign up there that says wet paint, now there's an identification, there's a mark, there's a sign that tells you more about that wall that you didn't know. Now I know, don't lean on it. Now I know it needs a few hours to dry. I know more things about it now. So everything that he's doing reveals to us that he is Emmanuel. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah of God, and that we should know he's our Lord and our God, and we should trust him. But John has specifically pulled out and done this by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would believe. That's what he's going to say. Um, many other signs Jesus did. You could write books upon books upon books, and there were so many other marks that proved that he's the Messiah. In the presence, in the face of his disciples, that's what that means, which are not written, grapho, in this biblios. This is 66 books. One book containing 66 books that all tell the same testimony about God. So this book of John, this, this little short scroll, but these are written, grapho, that you may believe, pistio, put your trust in Jesus is the Christ, the anointed of God that takes away the sins of the world, the Son of God, messianic term, and that believing, pistio, trusting him, you may have life in his name, his character, his nature, and his will, and his authority. Not have death. See, many people say, I believe in Jesus, and they're still living death. They're still wallowing Instead of following, instead of getting in the word, prayer, and fellowship and drawing near to God and knowing that he will breathe on them, they'll fill him with his spirit and, and being concerned about having the spirit of God in our life. What we're believing is, is that if I said a prayer with a man, I'm okay. That's deception. I'm not saying that every person that ever said a prayer with man at an altar is not saved. I'm saying that's not the mark. Be very careful what you believe, what man says, when God says, I'm breathing on you, and if you have not my spirit, you are not mine. So the question is, is do you have the spirit of God? Are you quenching, grieving, insulting, and lying to the spirit, or are you listening? Because my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. They don't wallow for long in the muck and the mire and in the grave My Lord and my God. Listen to this. I read this in the uh, uh, explanation of what kurios means. My Lord, supreme in authority. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. Listen, who do you belong to? You have the power to decide by what you put your hands and your feet to, your heart to, your mind to. But he's available. He's saying peace to you. Three times. Peace to you. It's available. And you have the choice whether you want to belong to him or keep living for self. It's totally up to you. But he's not dead. He's alive. He got up out of the grave. And his children also get up out of the grave. Father, thank you for your word. Pour out your spirit upon us. Have your way with us. Bless the rest of our day, the rest of our eternity, and give us a desire 
to not just hear your voice, not just for us to say we know you, but for you to know us in a relationship. And then we would follow you and not wallow in the lies of this graveyard that we're in. Lead us out, Lord. Thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I